This episode of React Podcast is brought to you by reacttraining.com. In-person, hands-on training for development teams from React community leaders and experts. Visit reacttraining.com to learn more. Uh, this is React Podcast. I'm Chantastic, and today I am joined by Ryan Florence, good friend, mega star on the Twitter and in the open source community. Um, we're going to talk about a lot of things, um, but first, how are you doing today, Ryan? I, I am good. I just finished workout. My body's still a little warm, so I'm going to start sweating a lot during this <laughs> conversation, I think, but... That's exactly no the mental image I think people were hoping for. As they I'm, w- I'm working hard writing open source, <laughs> just sweating over here onto my keyboard. What kind of workout are you doing these days? How are you staying fit? Uh, I do uh, mostly P90X3, and then uh, there's this beautiful little lake right by my house, about a mile away. And uh, I can just run out my front door, and within like 15 seconds, I'm in the woods. Uh, it's beautiful awesome. up here in Washington. And then I just run through some trails. And uh, actually today um, I ran around the lake and there's like, there's like branches that are just the right height for pull-ups. Okay, so nice. like whenever I see one of those branches, I do 10 pull-ups and then I keep nice. on running. <laughs> <laughs> Nature's it's like a, gym. It, yeah, it's my favorite workout because you're out there in nature and, uh, but you still, still get a, a, a good workout. But yeah, I, I find I am really unmotivated if I'm not working out. How do you feel like the working out, keeping your body in shape translates into your ability to work? How have you noticed that? I think it has a little bit to do with like burnout and just sort of like coding fatigue. Like, mm-hmm. you, you know how sometimes your brain is just mush yep. and you're like, I, I'm just staring at my editor doing nothing now. Or like anytime I hit a problem, I go straight to Twitter instead of like sit here and think about the problem. Mm. Um, but when I'm working out, I, I feel like it like resets that or something like you do a lot of mental activity and then if you go and you do some physical activity at like uh up for me anyway it helps me be able to you know stay motivated think think more clearly about my code and and send the emails that i need to send and sign the contracts that i need to sign and uh, all that kind of stuff you have a little more resilience to the work. yeah i don't know there's just sometimes you look at your to-do list and there's so many um some you know and i didn't have this when i wasn't self-employed but um when you're self-employed there's like there's just so many different tasks, uh, in addition to the code. Um, you know, like just this morning I was, um, I was reading through a a non-disclosure agreement and then another one I was reading through a contract and like, it just sometimes gets exhausting doing stuff that doesn't feel productive, but is. And uh, so when I work out, it kind of resets my ability to do the less exciting things. And then with the code, it helps me think more clearly about it. That's funny because you see that a lot, this idea that engineers need to have this perfect kind of dust-free isolation chamber in order to do their best work. And how the most effective people that I know are people who are able to kind of assign a value to something, do it, and then be able to quickly shift over into into another task. Yeah, and I find when I hit that spot where I'm having a hard time going to another task, it's like, okay, just go do a workout. Mm. <laughs> and then I can come back and then I'm, I'm ready to go again. Uh, but no, my, my days are best when I wake up early, spend some time just kind of uh, thinking in the morning, reading, um, do a workout, and then uh, make a list of what I'm going to accomplish that day and then just go for it. And uh, those days usually turn out really well. Nice, nice. 
Um, so this is your first time on the show. Um, I wanted to hear yeah. a little bit about how you got into programming. Um, and I guess after that, how you came to React and what your experience was and why you've been such a fan of React since then. So I guess it really started when my dad invested in an ISP when I was a teenager. Uh, he gave some guy some money and the guy started the ISP. And then uh, I got in, you got your own little homepage back then. Like it was FIA.net. And then at slash tilde KCF, my dad's name's Casey, last name Florence. So our username was KCF. And so I could FTP stuff onto a homepage right there. Dang. And uh, so I made a site called the Lurpy Llama. <laughs> <laughs> Where I, I, I posted the political musings of a 14, 15 year old uh, kid in Utah. What? <laughs> well, what? <laughs> What kind of uh, political thoughts did you have at the time as a 14-year-old Utahian? Uh, you know, I don't really know. Uh, or at least I don't want to say. No, I'm just kidding. Well, you know, you had a great name, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I actually ended up with this Java applet thing on the left side that, like, when you hovered over the topics, um, it would, like, invert the colors from, like, this purple to yellow. It was, it was pretty awesome. And uh, for some reason, someone at Microsoft... Uh, found my homepage <laughs> and gave me an award. <laughs> and a, like a plaque. Yeah. yeah, there were ten. There were ten best homepages on some <laughs> sort of thing. So I get this email from Microsoft that's like, "Hey, you just won the one of the spots in the ten best homepages." And they gave no me way. a thousand dollar shopping spree at the new Microsoft store online. Holy cow. Yeah. Dude, as a as a 14 year old, that must have felt like a million bucks. Yeah, I think I was 15, but yeah, yeah, it was uh it was awesome. But it was on the Microsoft store, so I could only buy stuff from the store. Sure. Um so I wanted to learn how to program. So I got, got a teach yourself C in 21 days book, bought a visual basic book, and then uh that was about a hundred bucks for those two books. And then I spent the other nine hundred dollars on uh the Microsoft keyboard that was like bubbly, actually. Yeah. Now the Microsoft Sculpt. But the, the first one, ones though? were really bubbly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I had one of those. I loved one. that thing. Yeah, that thing was awesome. And uh, I bought eight of those, or nine of those, <laughs> kept one, and then uh, sold a couple to some friends, and then took a whole bunch of them back to uh, some electronics store. I, I wouldn't take them back, but like, you know, being a teenager, I didn't realize that I was stealing their profits by returning a product I didn't buy from them. <laughs> and so then I ended up with like 900 or $800 in my pocket uh, from the thing. So I converted the shopping spree into actual cash. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so even then you had a little bit of a kind of entrepreneurial prowess. You're like, always. I'm going to turn this to cash as fast as possible. Yeah, always. Uh, in middle school, uh, right when I got to middle school, we had vending machines now which was like mind blowing coming from elementary school. Mm -hmm. And the, uh, the soda machine was, I can't remember the exact prices, but I remember the pizza and a cinnamon roll was $1.25. And so all these kids at no, what was it? It was $1.55. That's right. It was $1.55. So all these kids were running around with 45 cents in their pocket, but you couldn't <laughs> buy a soda for 45 cents. It was 50 cents. And uh, I remember walking around with 45 cents in my pocket, like really mad that I couldn't buy a soda. And then like it hit me like, oh man, I can just bring a bunch of soda to school and sell them for 45, 45 cents. cents. 
<laughs> and so I brought this little cooler, put it in my locker and I had like two six packs. I had like 12, um, uh, sodas oh my and, God. uh, sold them all the first day. And so then the next time I filled as many up as I could and then, uh, went to my English teacher and I was like, Hey, can I bring in a big cooler? And she's like, uh, sure. I had like no clue what I was doing. And, uh, so yeah, I ended up, I ended up making like 500 bucks or something in a couple of weeks. No way. Uh, or maybe a month or two. I can't remember the time frame. And then, uh, and then the principal found out what was going on and shut me down. <laughs> <laughs> You're undercutting her market. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I've always, I've always, my, my dad, my dad was, uh, he ran a company and so I've always just kind of imagined my career that way. So, yeah. I, if that was a movie, I feel like you would have been able to convince the principal that you really needed to sell them for 45 cents. And. Yeah. Well, it ended up, there was like this funny line. I'd go grab my cooler and then I'd be sitting there at the end of the lunch table and there'd be all these kids like waiting in line to buy a, a soda from me. And then uh, I'd come home and I'd go to the grocery store and like pick out some new ones. I'm like, oh man, Coke is selling like crazy. I'm going to buy some extra Coke this time. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's buying Sprite. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, I tried the C++ book and on day two, there was a calculator I was supposed to build and it didn't work. I kept getting this error, double check my code over and over and over. And uh, I realized now that the book had an error, <laughs> right? <laughs> but as a kid, like you think you just did something wrong. Yeah. And, uh, and I gave up. I was like, ah, programming's not for oh. me. Um, All because anyway, of a bad editor. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, so anyway, uh, I actually ended up getting a job at that internet service provider building websites for people. Um, but back then, there was no CSS. There was no JavaScript. There was none of that stuff. And um, so you couldn't, you didn't need to know how to program <laughs> to build a website. So I did that for a year as a kid. And then um, after college, so that was probably like four years after high school, five years. Um, didn't really touch programming or web development or anything. And then came back into it. Um, cause my wife needed a photography, uh, for her degree for photography, she needed a portfolio and it could either be online or printed and we were super poor and it was going to be like 200 bucks. And we didn't have, like, we were barely affording toilet paper. She's like, well, don't you know how to make websites? I was like, uh, maybe. So I got back into it. And uh, started messing around with uh, MooTools and uh, just absolutely had a blast with that. Um, and then uh, Christoph, the, uh, Christoph who, makes, who develops Jest at Facebook, mm -hmm. uh, he was really involved with MooTools. So anyway, he sent me this message and he was like, because I was pu publishing my MooTools uh, plugins onto GitHub. And he's like, your code is so clean. We want to invite you into the MooTools uh, dev channel in IRC. It's like, okay. And, uh, that's the last time anyone told me my code was clean. Um, <laughs> uh, so anyway, got involved with MooTools and, uh, just really liked, really liked the open source community. Those, those developers and MooTools really taught me how to program. And, yeah. uh, I still kind of feel like I'm oriented, uh, in my development, uh, by what they, what they taught me. And then from there, got some jobs, worked at an agency, worked at a company called Instructure, kept being involved with open source stuff, did some moved from MooTools to jQuery and then Backbone and then uh, got really involved in Ember. Yeah, so then uh, you asked how did I get into React. Um, I was asked to speak at JSConf 
2014. You were, yeah, that's right. That's right. The guy that kept drawing amazing (laughs) art about my talks. We had, I feel like that was about the point where our, uh, our lives started to intersect. I'm totally shy by nature. So in order to have people come to me, I started drawing these drawings and posting them on Twitter with the, with the hashtag. And yours, your talk was one of those at um, what, JSConf, right? Yeah, and you, uh, I spoke at EmberConf like two months earlier. Yep, yep. And you were at that one too. And they were just, they were so cool. And what I was most impressed with was that like, you actually got in your drawings like exactly what I was trying to say in my talks. Like nice. you pulled out the points that I was like the most excited about. And I was like, I like this guy. <laughs> and then you were wearing yellow shoes. <laughs> My conference shoes. The drawing that I did from your talk at EmberConf is still my favorite one because you you had such a cool talk at at EmberConf where you had the X wing and you flew it out <laughs> over the audience with a web controller. It was amazing. Yeah, it was a it was an Ember component that controlled a drone, and the component's name was X wing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that ended up being how I interviewed people. Really positioned, yeah, because uh, I hate whiteboard stuff. Um, and so we just go into a big conference room and then uh, I drop the drone down and hand them a laptop or they could use their laptop. And I'd say, build a remote control for this thing. Here's the API. <laughs> and uh, it was, it was cool. It was, yeah. Um, there's a bunch of state that you got to manage and make API calls to the thing. And it was like, but it was super fun too. So you didn't feel like you were in an interview. Like people were intrinsically motivated to make this thing fly around. Yeah. Rather than like try to impress me. And I, I was very clear. I'm like, I'm not really going to judge the way this code looks or anything. Like we're just trying to make this thing work. And then we're going to use the code to talk about like what you do and you don't like about it and yep. uh, how, how you might change it or whatever. But like this code is not what you're being judged on. We're right. just trying to make it fly and have some fun. Man, what um, a great way to interview people. It was, it was a lot of fun. I think, I think interviewing people is what I miss most about uh, being self-employed now. Um, mm-hmm. Those, those are fun. I really liked, uh, I really liked those. So anyway, at JSConf, uh, they asked me to talk about all the front-end frameworks. So I gave a talk called Ambular Actimer Bone. <laughs> and that was the first time I ever really tried React. I ignored it for the first year. Um, it's the first time I really tried it. And uh, it, just, it just clicked. I just loved it. It, it, yeah. it ticked a whole bunch of my boxes of things <coughs> that I was getting frustrated with in front-end development. Um, I could just use plain old objects. I got to control when the page updated. Um, uh, I got to just use JavaScript to express mm-hmm. my UI. The first time I mapped over an array and returned a bunch of list items, I just like little tears <laughs> coming down my eye. <laughs> it's shocking, right? You're like, why has everyone been hiding JavaScript from me all this yeah, time? I actually like this. Um, but there was no router. And I'd been using Ember. And Ember's router mm-hmm. was really good. Really good. So... I made one <laughs> uh, and showed it to some friends. And then uh, that's where uh, Michael Jackson and I, where our relationship kind of started. We knew each other before, but um, uh, we started building React Router together, ended up building a company together, uh, yeah. React Training. We did mm-hmm. that together for three and a half years. Um, Michael's still doing that. And uh, I've now broken off and I'm doing uh, reach.tech. So still doing workshops and online stuff and open source um, yeah, doing it under the new reach.tech banner. Reach.tech. So tell me a little bit about how that's different, what you're doing with uh, reach.tech. Um, so I've wanted to build 
uh, a bunch of accessible components ever since I started doing React. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've, I've just never made it a priority. So I would have done it if I kept my job at Instructure, but I left and uh, started React training. And I thought it was going to happen there, uh, but you just get so busy with all the things for running a business. Yep. Um, and uh, it just it just never happened. In fact, you can look at my my open source, and it just kind of like trails off. You can like see when uh, we started React training. Open source really slows down like yeah. crazy. Um, you know, because I was. Uh, making invoices, trying to get people to pay me, flying yeah. around the country, trying to get some marketing emails out, trying well, to sell tickets. You had a flagship product at that point, the you know, React Router, mm-hmm. which was kind of in symbiosis with the business. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to just say like, hey, we're going to take time from this and the business and make this new thing that yeah. may or may not work out for us. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and uh, so, yeah, so with uh, Reach... Um, you know, I'm probably I'm probably going to make less money than I was making before, um, but it's it's just something I, you know, when you talk to artists or when not when like we've ever talked to like famous artists when <laughs> when you listen to artists get interviewed, um, sometimes they talk about like I just had this image in my head and I had to paint it, I had to get yeah. it out. Yep. Um, the, the, a lot of that is what's going on for me with this, uh, and so I want to build uh, this component library. That's low level enough that design systems can build on top of it, mm-hmm. uh, but high level enough that you can pull it off the shelf and just use it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and the accessibility is the first, the first concern. Um, it's got to be accessible because React is generally not very accessible. Not because of React, but because it's so easy. Um, we don't look for third party solutions for stuff mm-hmm. uh, like. Like a drop-down menu is super easy to build just by yourself. You know, just with click handlers, click a button, set some state. If the Something drop-down's open, yeah, show a little a little div that's got some items in it. Put some click handlers on those, and you're done. Yeah. Um, yep. But back in the jQuery days, that was hard. Mm-hmm. And so we'd go and grab jQuery UI. We didn't know that jQuery UI was accessible. Uh, we just grabbed it because the job was hard. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think I think we kind of have this thing going on in in React where React apps are less accessible than the apps that they replaced. Mm. Um, not because React is inaccessible, but because developers are like so productive with it, but they don't know about uh, the accessibility requirements of a lot of these little components. So I want to I want to build a library that people can grab, and uh, it's just going to have accessibility baked in. And so the, the hardest the hardest job of this is going to be marketing and getting people to actually use it um, instead of just rolling their own. Uh, but yeah. if we can all all focus on one set of components, we can make we can give React like this incredible accessible base. Um, and I think it'll be I think it'll be good. Yeah. So we've talked about this project a little bit, and it it sounds like you're providing a very high level API for people who just want to basically have a drop down component that they throw in there. But then you're also providing very low-level APIs so that it can be, um, so that all the library is doing is thinking about accessibility and you can control styling, uh, kind of animations and different types of interactions all app-side. Is that right? Uh, yeah, and there, there's not a whole lot of really low-level API. Like for the most part, um, 
for the most part, the API that you would use off the shelf or that you would build on top of uh, is going to be the same. Uh, but there are some weird cases where you'll need to drop down a little bit lower. Uh, mm -hmm. Like if you want to animate a drop-down menu opening and closing, uh, you, you'll need to drop down a, a lower level. But um, you still got to keep keep things kind of high level. It, it's, a, it's a really tricky balance. Yeah. Um, because if you go too low level, then you can't actually handle the accessibility concerns automatically for people. You know, they're sure. going to have to place the right attributes. They're going to have to place the handlers. And, uh, or they might miss a role on an element. If I don't actually render an element, they, they might use an anchor instead of a button. Right. And, and not add all of the things that you need for that. So, um, so then you could be in a place where you're using this thing and thinking that you're getting accessibility and kind of shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah. And yeah. so, so I'm, I'm avoiding that flexible of an API mm -hmm. um, because I, I, don't, I don't want any foot guns, as we call them. <laughs> um, but yeah, low enough that you can do all the animation you need to do. You know, like Material UI is a really, uh, really rich uh, UI paradigm. What do you call it? I don't know. They, they got a lot components. going on. Lots of animations, <laughs> yeah. um, lots of effects. And uh, I, I need an API low enough level to allow something like that to be built on top. I see. Um, but in, in general, in general, it just means you pull in a component, throw a class name on it, and you can style it. Or pull in a component, use emotion, and wrap it uh, in, a, in the style template tags. Um, it, it should feel like um styling any other element in in the on the web yeah now i know that there's kind of two competing ideas in this space um, i know that react native for web is kind of targeting multiple devices um, so the web and native and in a lot of ways going away from the natural accessibility grain of web ui elements um, and obviously that's a different problem but this is focusing, or ReachUI is focusing exclusively on the web right now. Yeah, it's just just web. Uh, cool. you, you go and I mean, React Native is awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a lot of fun to work with, and it's it's changed a lot of organizations for the better. Um, but if you go look at the npm download stats, it's just it's not even. It's like a, a little blip compared to React DOM. Interesting. Um, and so, uh, while while I think that's I think those are really cool projects and and really neat, uh, uh, I guess architecture goals. Mm -hmm. um, I'm I just I just want to focus on the web because there are just so many people out there who are not trying to use the same code on native and web. And you know, to me, that's like a for me personally that I think that's cool just for just as like an engineering achievement, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, I don't think that generally. I think for organizations, it, it's not just like you're just doing this because you're an engineer and want to do it. Uh, I think it solves real problems for them. But for me personally, my only interest in that is it just seems like a really cool thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, pragmatically, there are just so many React apps on the web that are inaccessible that uh, that's that's what I'm trying to trying to uh, handle. And I mean, probably not React Native Web, but uh, other design systems that target both um, platforms, they could still build their web versions of these components on top of Reach UI. Oh, interesting. Right, because what you want is like a, a, a 
tabs component that you can use in both places. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're not going to be implemented the same. Sure. You know, because the accessibility concerns on native are, are totally different than on the web. So, so you're going, to, the code is going to branch. It's just that top level that uh, looks the same. So you could still, you could still build one of those kinds of design systems on top of reach UI, I think. It'd be interesting to explore. It'd be really cool too, if you had a whole sketch library and you're rendering them into there and <laughs> yeah. there's so many there's so many targets right now it feels almost intractable to yeah to do something that yeah targets all and, and that's the thing is I'm, I'm just looking at the web like hey we've got a problem here every almost every design system that i get linked to so so i tweet a lot about reach ui lately and every time i tweet about it i get replies that are like oh have you looked at this library have you looked at that one mm-hmm. have you looked mm-hmm. at this one and uh every time it only takes me like five seconds to go and break the thing with a keyboard, just just yeah. by trying to navigate with my keyboard and open the drop down and move through the items, it'll be broken or it'll work. But I go and I look at the ARIA attributes and they just aren't even there. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so yeah, we've we've got a we've got this thing where everyone is building all of these components, but um, we don't have an accessible base to build them on. It, man, wouldn't it be cool if React just came with those things? Hmm. You know, that's kind of what I'm after is like, this should feel like it just comes from React. Um, all of these components that exist on the web, but don't exist in HTML. Yeah. Uh, now they're going to exist in React and you can build on top. That'd be really cool. So how are you writing this? How are you testing? How, what does your development cycle look like when you're trying to make sure that it doesn't work on a screen? Uh, so a lot of people probably disagree with me. Uh, on this, but I write tests really late in the game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there aren't really any tests yet, like real tests. And so right now, just just building the thing, making sure I get the API the way I want it before my tests like overcommit me to an API. Um, and then uh, to test that they work, um, I actually, at a previous job, I would spend 15 to 30 minutes every morning uh, with my screen completely dimmed and I would use a screen reader to check my email, browse Twitter. It's crazy. Um, you know, you know the morning thing that you kind of do as a programmer. I'm going to yeah. check Hacker News or whatever. <laughs> I, I don't check that. That place tells me that I'm an idiot. But um, I would do that for you know 15 minutes or a half hour every morning just to learn how to use a screen reader. Um, and so as I build these components, um, I uh, I develop them in Chrome with Storybook, which is really cool. And then um, when I think I've got it uh, pretty well uh, done, uh, then I'll pop it open in Safari and use VoiceOver and uh, navigate with the keyboard and listen to the screen reader and then uh, pop open my Microsoft Surface book and uh, open up Firefox and NVDA. Uh, It's a V as in like at the end of the alphabet, not a B. So NVDA uh, is a screen reader for Windows that usually people pair up with Firefox. And so I'll pop that open and use it in there. And that's, oh man, trying to get it to work in both voiceover and NVDA. Uh, well, and then, and then there's JAWS too, which is probably one of the most popular ones, J-A-W-S. And usually pair that up with Internet Explorer or Edge um, and then test it in there. Um, so there's a pretty big disparity between those two or three screen readers then? Uh yeah, I mean, not not big, but 
big enough. Like on the web, it's already so crazy with the CSS quirks and yeah. uh, all that kind of stuff. So it's just more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, for example, I just built uh, these alert components. You know, people like something happens, you send an email on Gmail and a little thing pops up that's like uh, message sent down at the bottom. Yeah. Undo or, for 30 seconds. Yeah. Oh, or like Twitter when you like decide not to post the tweet and then it just drops down like, uh, I don't know. There's always this drop down in Twitter that covers up the text box and I'm like waiting for an hour to... <laughs> anyway, so those little alerts, um, they show up on the page and other places where a screen, re- screen reader user is not looking mm. with their virtual cursor. Yeah. And so they don't know that anything even happened. Interesting. Um, and so uh, what you need to do is uh, let the screen reader know, hey, something happened, and then either interrupt uh, what the user is doing and tell them about it, mm-hmm. or wait until the user's idle and then tell them about it. So this alert component, you can render an alert just like you normally do visually, but uh, it will automatically announce to the screen reader that something happened. And uh, with the discrepancies between screen readers, uh, it's working great in Safari and VoiceOver, and it announces the thing uh, correctly. But over in NVDA, even though I have all the right attributes that I'm supposed to have on it, it reads um, it reads the thing twice. Oh, um, so so sometimes it'll be like, oh, if you put roll alert and then aria live um, assertive, um, then in NVDA it reads it twice. But if you remove the aria live assertive which is the default, but if you remove that thing, then it only reads it once. But over in Safari, um, if you don't have it on there, anyway, it's, I can't remember all the details of this bug, but um, yeah, just funny things like that, where like different combinations of attributes will cause the screen reader to do slightly different things. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it can, it's just more, more of uh, what makes the web unique. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> it's why we love it. <laughs> Well, there's that interesting tension too between having a library that makes things so easy, so easy for us to put things on the screen, but then also that responsibility that we gain now of really having to think about accessibility um, because it is important. You know, a friend of mine kind of put it this way: he went to a a national park, and it's one of the the first national parks to be fully accessible, and he was realizing that isn't just a promise for other people. But that's a promise to him in the future that, hey, you will always be able to come back to this park, you know, when your legs don't work, when your eyes don't work. Like, this park is always accessible to you. And so often we forget that it's not just for somebody else, it's for us. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to pull up a tweet here. Yeah, here it is. Uh, this guy, Zach, R-I-P underscore on Twitter, tweeted at me uh, yesterday. Yeah, just yesterday. As someone who recently learned they're going blind, thank you. I never realized quite how important this work is until now, and I regret not putting more effort into it in previous projects. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really insightful of you, that it's, it's not just like, it, it's a promise to me in the future. I like that. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, the other thing that I think about is, um, so I used to work with um, a blind uh, front-end developer named Aaron Cannon, amazing developer. I loved working with him. And uh, it blew me away just how inaccessible so many mm. of like internal company things are. You bring in Slack. It at first was like really terrible at accessibility. I haven't looked at it lately. I, I know that they've worked really hard at it. So it's probably pretty good now. 
um, but it, he couldn't use it. Um, mm-hmm. Our HR software, um, where we had to go and I can't remember, he did all these like rewards and stuff. And he, anyway, it was a thing that he just couldn't be a part of because it was inaccessible. And so if you wanted to use it, it was like, hey, Ryan, do you want to go and click on these things for me? <laughs> um, like we, we had, that's right. We had to fill out our goals, like these quarterly goals or something. Yeah. And he, he couldn't do it. So like, because the website just would not work uh, for him. And, and, so and, he's, and he's really good at this. He's a developer who can go and like fix things in the console and the dev tools to make them work. Uh-huh. Uh, but, but this one just wouldn't work. And so um, uh, it was like, all right, just, just don't even do that. So, so for a lot of people, it's not just like, oh, well, ha- what percent of our users use a screen reader? Oh, it's only 1%. Well, it doesn't matter. We're not going to worry about that. Mm-hmm what's awful about that is the person who uses the screen reader that is 99% of websites. So so to us, it's this very small thing like, Oh, it's just 1% of users. It's not going to affect us. But for these people, they're affected almost all the time by that decision. Well, and it's also a false metric because people can't use the website. Like that 1% is trying really friggin' hard to make it work. Yeah. Yeah, so with uh, with Reach UI, I just I just want to make as much automatic as possible because there's a lot that we can do in a component uh, where developers don't have to know. A lot. We shouldn't all have to be deep accessibility experts. There are so many yeah. things to know. You know, we we think of ourselves as full stack developers. We're, we're not. We've got like there's a thing we know better than other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there's stuff that people don't know anything about. How many full stack developers out there? know the difference between um, uh, ARIA hidden and role presentation. Um, but they're going to call themselves a full stack developer. Right. right. Um, or who can write a linear gradient from scratch. Um, so th- Once upon just, a time. Once upon a time. <laughs> yeah. Somebody can. It's not me. Um, so I'm not a full stack developer. There, there's things that I know across the stack, but um, we all have our specialties. And I don't think that everyone needs to be a deep accessibility expert especially because it's, it's like I've got two computers, three browsers, and three screen readers. One of them cost me $1,200. Um, and the, uh, the screen reader cost as much as the computer. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't, all, we don't all need to do that. Um, I think we can have some components that uh, just work out of the box. And, uh, and then you need to know a little bit. You need to know how to manage focus when you, know, you go from one component to another. Um, but uh, but other than that, there isn't a whole lot that you need to need to know if the if a component is handling it for you. Well, that's one thing I'm I am particularly excited about Reach UI because I, as you described, I'm not a full stack developer, and while I can make things work and I can make my managers happy and get things out the door and um, all of that, style it nice, animate it, whatever, I don't have the foggiest idea of how to get accessibility right for all of those screen readers. And the fact that you're doing that work and I could just kind of sit on top of that and we kind of insert that underneath the work that I'm doing is amazing. And that's a huge value. That's going to be huge value to me and to my company and other companies, obviously. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm hoping to be able to figure out how to provide hints when I've gone as far as I can with the component and now Mm -hmm. it's your job to do something. Uh, For example, like, if a modal closes, um, I move the focus back to the button that opened it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if I can't find that button, 
maybe because when the modal closes, it was a form and you've changed screens uh, and just the document body gets focused. Maybe that's an opportunity for me to warn you and be like, hey, I, I tried to manage focus for you, but the thing isn't there anymore. So you should probably, you need to manage the focus here and yeah. like put a link down in the console of like, you know, here's, here's a resource on learning how to do that. So I'm, I'm hoping uh, to find those kinds of opportunities too, to let people know when uh, I've gone as far as I can. And now here's the little bit of accessibility knowledge that you need. Now, I know that there's a lot of things in the works coming up that kind of help with that focus management. Uh, whether it be, uh, I know you're working on a new router, Reach router, which kind of plays a lot on what Suspense is doing. How do those kind of change the game in terms of focus management? Yeah, so, uh, and you can think about scroll management as well. Um, so Reach router is, it's it's a lot like React Router version 3 and version 4, like my favorite parts of those two mm-hmm. versions um, in a much smaller package. It's about four kilobytes. And uh, it it also is focused on accessibility. So uh, when you've got some nested routes and you change routes, it's going to go and focus uh, the new, the new, the part of the page that changed uh, because you have nested routes, the router knows which part of the app changed. So it can, it can do that for you automatically. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the case of like a, that modal that I was just talking about, when you close the modal, if that causes you to change routes, maybe because you submitted a form, um, you don't have to manage the access, the focus yourself because the router is going to go and move focus to the new part of the page. Interesting. Um, and, and so that's, that's why, um, that's one of the reasons that I started building it. Um, the main reason I built it was I just wanted to play with React Suspense and uh, React Router was using lifecycle hooks that um, uh, you can't use with Suspense. Mm-hmm. Um, and rather than try to figure out how to get that to work, I was like, this will be quicker just to build a quick little router. You start over. And, yeah, and and at first it was you know it was very very small, and then uh, and then I added a couple of things here and there, and then I was like, wait, I actually really like this, mm-hmm. and uh, and I actually want to use it, which means I need to put it on npm because I want to use it in my projects now, uh, and so I, I fleshed it all out and um, and released it, uh, but it's got to focus on accessibility as well. Um, so the way that it uh, you asked about how it ties in with suspense. Um, if you think about uh, restoring scroll or changing focus um, or even document titles, mm-hmm. all those things depend on async data. So if you click the back button and you're uh, downloading some data for the page, um, you need to wait for that data to load before you change the document title mm-hmm. or before you restore the scroll position down the page and um, or before you go and focus, because you need those elements on the page before you can focus them. So to do that stuff um, with a router before suspense, you've got to know about the data and the async stuff, Yeah, which usually meant like Redux or something, or, or just some global kind of thing, because React didn't have any async ideas built into it. Um, and so now your components aren't going to mount like your new route components, they aren't going to mount until that data loads, which means a router can just be like, okay, when when this thing mounts, let's restore the scroll position. When this mm-hmm. thing mounts, let's go and focus that element. And like, yeah. you just don't even have to think about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. So mo- most of the time, you just 
you just quit worrying about it. And that, that's why suspense is so cool is it's, uh, it's taken this really hard problem in React, transitioning from one component to another. Not, not an animated transition, just like screen A to screen B um, and, and data being involved with that. Um, it's taken that problem off of our plate where most of us used to look to a router to handle that kind of stuff for us. Now it's just built straight into React, uh, which is really nice. Yeah, I'm really excited about that because as a designer, as someone who's working on that thing that's close to the user, um, thinking about interactions, having this is going to be incredible because I can't even imagine the amount of code that you'd have to write to get these interactions and how difficult it would be to abstract in a meaningful way that you could reuse it across your app. Yeah, like uh, you just consider, you click a link, you want to load data before you go to the next page. But if your API is really, really slow, you don't want to sit there and wait forever. You want to throw a spinner up. And if it's super slow, you want to actually go to that page and then put spinners up in, like maybe you've got some of the data, you've got three endpoints that you hit and you've got, you've got two of them, but not the third. And maybe the third takes eight or 10 seconds and it's not very important. Yep. You don't want to sit there and wait on the old page and then wait those 10 seconds and then move over. You want to say, you know what? I got my first two bits of data in like two seconds. I'm still waiting on this third one. Uh, let, let's just go ahead and transition over. Yeah. Um, or, you know what? That API wasn't slow this time. They all came back within one second. Let's transition over. Um, all, all that stuff, I, I've never even tried it because I know it would just be too hard. I've thought about it, but I never tried it. Um, yeah, you kind of just go the easy way out where you're like, oh, we'll throw a spinner up until the data comes back. Yeah, or we'll just go to the next page and throw spinners up immediately. Right. Right, my component mounts, let's go fetch and not even, not even try to pause the old screen. Mm-hmm. Um, now, now you can make all of those trade-offs with all the same pretty simple code. Um, you're able to just put these little placeholders around components that have async data. And um, if it's taking a long time, you can go to a placeholder uh, and you can tell it how long you're willing to wait for the thing. Um, and then it will automatically decide, like depending on how many milliseconds you're, you're willing to wait on each piece of data, like we got those three pieces of data. Maybe the first two were uh, not willing to wait very long. And then the last one, we're willing to wait a really long time. React will just handle all that for you. You just get to declare things. So it sounds like there's a lot of things kind of coming up in the future with via Reach UI, via React itself, kind of getting suspense Mm -hmm. um, that are going to fundamentally change the way that we build UIs and how accessible they can be to the masses. I know that one of the other pillars of your company, uh, Reach Tech, is to be teaching um, so how can people learn more about all the things that are coming down the pipe? Yeah, so I've actually got a, um, a workshop tour coming up. It starts October 1st and ends a little bit before Thanksgiving, where I'm hitting pretty much two cities every single week. Uh, so I'm going to be pretty busy. So I think it's Crazy. 13 or 12 cities in six weeks. Um, so I'll likely be uh, close to you if you're in the United States. Um, where I will be covering um, all of the... So I've had this advanced React workshop for the last three years. Mm-hmm. Um, I've updated it to where now we hit all the patterns really quickly in the first day. And, um, and then we talk about the new, uh, like new lifecycle hooks like get drive state from yep. props and get snapshot before update. Um, and the deprecated ones like component will receive props. 
all those things. Um, we talk about why uh, we need to move off of them and then also how to move off of them. And uh, if you can do that, then you'll get your app ready for all the rest of what's coming down uh, from React uh, with, uh, um, with suspense and time slicing and, uh, and then there's other stuff too. And so uh, we'll hit all the patterns, um, we'll hit all the new stuff, and, um, and then you'll, you'll, be, you'll be ready to go and get your apps ready for the next chapter of React and, uh, and, and learn all the patterns. Um, maybe you're familiar with them, high order components, render props, uh, but we'll, we'll be able to discuss why you use one over the other and all that kind of stuff too. So yeah, uh, you can just go to reach.tech slash workshops and uh, see all the cities that I'm gonna be hitting. Another reason why I'm cramming it all together is because I'm trying to live my life in modes. So I'm going okay. to be in workshop mode, put some money in the bank so that then in uh, the beginning of the year in 2019, uh, I can just hit reach UI hard, yeah. um, you know, and, and get that whole, that thing. I mean, it'll never be complete, but like get it filled out and, uh, and, and really usable. Um, and so trying to, trying to make enough money in, uh, in those six weeks to be able to spend several months uh, just heads down on reach UI. Nice. And so the way that people can fund the development of reach UI and reach router is to attend these conferences and do your online workshops. Yeah. So I've got uh, some online courses too. Uh, you can find those on reach.tech. Uh, that's a subscription. So it's $15 a month. Um, and that's actually super helpful. Uh, if you subscribe to those, because that gives me a, a stream of income. It's not just like Patreon where you're just paying me to build reach UI. You're actually getting, uh, what I think are some good, uh, good online courses on React. And I've got a, a development log uh, that actually this week I'm going to be publishing the first videos where I talk about how to build. We will be building um, in the course the reach UI components. So after I get one done, awesome. then I make a little course, a little video about like, okay, build this with me. Here are the trade-offs we made. Here are the decisions that were made. Here's why it works this way. So you'll, you'll learn a lot about accessibility and, uh, and React uh, with that course. So that, that helps, helps fund the development too. Um, and uh, should, should be good stuff. Awesome. Awesome. We always like to end the show on uh, you telling us about some projects or people that you think are doing really awesome work that should be getting more attention. Uh, I think the first one would be uh, React Spring. So I've always been looking for animation libraries in React, uh, React Motion. First one that blew my mind with uh, render props. <laughs> uh, remember when I first saw that? I thought it wasn't even valid syntax. I had no idea what was happening. <laughs> it did um, look. It was startling the first time you saw it. it. So strange looking. Um, and then, um, yeah. So React Spring, and then there's the animated library from React Native. There was a there was an effort to bring the animated library to the DOM, and uh, React Spring is kind of like. Well, actually, they, their tagline is helping React Motion and Animated to become best friends. And I've been using this for uh, my animations uh, with Reach UI because i got to make sure that you can animate them if people want to. And I just love React Spring. Uh, the transition component is just perfect. Uh, so check that out. Uh, Dr. CMDA, D-R-C-M-D-A. I don't even know. It's, uh, it's an unpronounceable username. Um, slash react dash spring on github awesome project and then uh another one uh man i'm always excited about gatsby um gatsby 2.0 
is shaping up to be pretty good. Yeah. Um, they actually just moved over to a reach router um, for the smaller bundle size and the, the focus management and stuff. Awesome. Um, that's got to feel good. out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It uh, boosted the NPM download stats, that's for sure. looks like people <laughs> actually use it now. <laughs> um, and then uh, MDX. I don't know if you've seen MDX yet. Oh, yeah, I love it. So many of us have been trying to like smash together React and Markdown. Um, I, I built this weird little thing a while ago where you, it would look at your fenced code blocks and render them. Mm. And uh, anyway, it used all global UMD builds of things. It was it was terrible, but it got the job done. But this is this is what I was this is what I was dreaming of. In fact, I wasn't even capable of dreaming of this. They they built something that is awesome. So anyway, MDX, you get to you can import JavaScript into your um, Markdown file. You can render React components yeah. in there. Um, it's really cool. You it's insane. It, it is. It, if you dreamt up all of the things that you could want, all of the perfect APIs, pulled in all of the times that you had wanted components in Markdown. Like you wouldn't have been able to construct this thing. It's so good, and it has that feeling of being like a platform in itself, because um, mm-hmm. there's like MDX Deck, MDX Doc, and all of them are really valuable in applying this tool to a task, which is amazing. Yeah, MDX uh, Next.js, uh, Gatsby MDX. Um, so any anytime you got a website that has a lot of markdown, uh, you should probably just use. MDX instead. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, well, I guess in addition to because it's still Markdown. Yeah, so so you're using it to construct the docs for ReachUI, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the ReachUI docs are Gatsby version two with uh, Gatsby plugin MDX, or maybe it's just Gatsby MDX. And how did that change your workflow? Uh, I can just write Markdown, and then if I want to like bring in React Helmet to like change the doc title or the meta tags. I just render a React helmet. If I want to render a demo, I can just bring in the demo of the component and render it right there in my markdown. Um, my links, um, they don't have to be uh, anchor tags. They can actually be reach router links um, right there in the middle of the markdown as well. Um, yeah, it's just, I, I don't know. It's, I, I didn't, I didn't know that this is what I wanted when I built content heavy websites. Yeah, but it's yeah. amazing. So uh, Brent Brent Jackson, right? He's uh he's Brent Jackson. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Smart smart dude. Yep. So those are my three: React Spring, Gatsby, and uh, MDX. Awesome. Well, thank you, Ryan. I really appreciate your time. Uh, it was really fun to hear about what you're doing to help save us all from the <laughs> the jaws of accessibility. So I'm really excited to see see what you come up with to continue watching the projects. And uh, I think I think a lot of us are. Thanks for having me. This is the end of React Podcast episode 22. For links to the people and projects mentioned in this show, visit reactpodcast.com slash 22. And to ensure the continued weekly production of this show, please go to reactpodcast.com slash partner and help support the show. Join us next week for our episode with Sunil Pai, talking Facebook, Oculus, React, and CSS and JS. Thanks for listening. Thank you.